0: This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Welcome to the Center for Sports Studies podcast. My name is Brandon Podgorski, professor of sport management at Trine University, and I want to welcome you to this week's podcast. On today's podcast, we have a recorded interview with IUPUI professor Dr. Jeff Sherman about his experience working in the NBA COVID 19 bubble. I hope you enjoy it. Dr. Sherman, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Brandon. Well, it's my pleasure, and I definitely wanted to have you on after looking on LinkedIn and your experiences in the NBA bubble. But before we get to your experience with the uh, the Pacers, you've actually been in Indianapolis. You're there at IUPUI, and you've been in Indy for quite a while. You've worked with a number of pro teams, and were you also an SID before you got into stat work with the Pacers?
1: Well, actually, I was, to be honest with you. Um, I was an SID from 2006 until 2016 at uh, Marion on the west side of Indy. And uh, I actually worked with a football team, started a football program, won a couple of national championships. And that's where I cut my stats teeth, you could call it, with learning the programs and all the stuff we needed to do there. But I also learned web development, all that kind of stuff.
0: So was that what you went to school for? Because I was looking at your your background. You were actually the second St. Bonaventure grad we've had here on the podcast. So was that what you went to school for? How did you develop that skill set?
1: I actually went to school for journalism, mass communication in the Jandoli School at uh, St. Bonaventure. Um, then I did my master's in sport management at IU Bloomington and got a unique opportunity in 2002 to become one of the first cohort of a PhD at sport management at IU Bloomington. Okay, very good. So it- while I may not have graduated as quickly as the others, <laughs> they, we, I still graduated. They uh, They graduated before me because, uh, and you know Dr. Pierce, he graduated before me, he came in after me, but graduated before me because I left in 2006 to take the full-time job at
0: Marion. And that's one of the things that we're kind of working with our students now, because a lot of them want to get into athletic administration, and a lot of them are kind of interested in the SID route, communications route, Um, but the one thing that we're kind of seeing in gap in education is kind of being able to work with things like with stat crew and and other types of statistics. So, you know, we're going to get to your experience in the bubble, but just for those students who may be listening, what might be some ways for them to kind of get that experience so they could move into an SID role or or to an administration role? Start at
1: Trine, get connected to the SID office at Trine. Um, And I say that because that's how I started, you know, my first, uh, one of my internships, I did about four of them over the course of my college career, came in my senior year, and I was at the sports information office at St. Bonaventure under a guy by the name of Steve Mest. That's where I cut my teeth with everything. And it was probably the best year that I'd had. And then I ended up going and doing the same thing in Bloomington, asking about athletic department, how can I help, volunteering, whatever I could do to get my face and name out there and, and, and do whatever I could to, to learn the skill sets needed. I went right to my school, and trying is the best place to do it.
0: And that, That's excellent advice, and it's good to know, kind of have a professional come on and kind of reiterate a lot of the things that we're talking about here, so that's good to hear. So, so You let's and I are in into... the
1: same boat, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, can, they can hear it from us a thousand times, but one, one person from the industry comes in and says, yes, do what your professor says. They listen. It's weird.
0: I don't even get upset about it anymore. As long as they they go and they do it, I'm happy. It's normal now. <laughs> yep. <Yeah. laughs> um, so let's jump into it. How did this opportunity to to work down in Orlando in the bubble come about? Well, the irony
1: was is that I never anticipated having the opportunity. Um, about mid June, I think it was, I got an email, random email that said uh, we're doing the NBA restart. You know, the official term for it was the NBA restart, and <laughs> So I got this email that said, you know, we're surveying stat crews from all over the the league. What could you commit to if possible? Can you commit to anything? Uh, and, And then there were options. There was four to eight weeks. There was eight to 12 weeks. And there was 12 to 14 weeks. And I talked to my wife a little bit. And I said, well, what do I do? And she said, just throw them all in there and see what happens. So I committed to all of them. Said I can be there the full term. And then I talked to my department chair, Dr. Brian Crone here at IEPY and said, what do you think? And he said, go, are you kidding me? We're pretty much online. So you might just as well go do it and teach from the bubble. And I said, okay, well, if you're giving me permission, then I'm good. Well then I responded and said, you know, here's my availability. You know, I had to go through some health screenings and stuff before I left because I have some different issues that other people don't. And it kind of red flagged me a little bit, but then I cleared those and, On July 12th, you know, at three in the morning, you know, I I departed for, for Orlando because I was one of the few people that did not fly because I'm not going to share air right now. It's not going to happen, right? I don't want to be in a confined space with people for very long, even if it was two hours. Instead, I'm going to be confined in the car with my mom and my sister for 15 hours because I had been around them since March. And so we drove down. Ironically, they were They were going on vacation at the same time I was going to the restart. So they bumped up their vacation a week and took me down. They drove me down and dropped me off at the Waldorf Astoria in Orlando. And I'm here to tell you the moment that I got my luggage out and they drove away, I went, oh crap, I'm stranded now. So if something goes wrong, I'm in trouble because I got no way out. Right. So for the next week it was, if I have to go home, they're still in Florida. And then it was day eight and I'm going, Nope, they're gone. No more. I can't leave now, you know? Uh, But it was, it was kind of, it was different. Let's just put it that way.
0: So I'm assuming you, your wife couldn't go with you. They were probably limiting who could travel with you, right? No staff, no, no, no staff could bring no one. Um,
1: And neither could players until after the first round of the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So there was no coaches. Wives were not able to be there. Um, Our families were not able to be there. But I'm here to tell you, you know, LeBron James is right. And, I, and, and I don't, it, you, you won't see me agree with LeBron James much um, because, you know, being a Pacers guy, Cavs, Heat, <laughs> you, don't need to know, you don't need that whole story. Um, but I'm not a big LeBron James guy, but what he said about his kids was absolutely right on the head. And when I say that, he said, it's no place for kids. And it really wasn't a place for kids. You know, the, what are the kids going to do? You know, he said his kids like to adventure out. There was nowhere to go. Like literally there was, you could not, once you were in, you were in. You left, you were gonna be quarantined for a minimum amount of days. And if you violated an egregious rule or protocol, you
0: were gone, you were sent home. So what was that procedure like from the time that you got dropped off by by your mom and sister to when you finally left? What were some of the the protocols and what did you have to do and, and maybe some of the rules?
1: Well, first things first, I had to make sure I got out of my head during that first week because we were isolated for the first week in, in our rooms. So for seven days, we were alone with our thoughts for seven days in a hotel room. Our meals came at 8am at noon and at 6pm and they were left at our door. There were bags of hot and cold food. We got a big spread every meal. Let's just put it that way. I didn't lose weight while I was down there. Let's just put it that way. Um, but, uh, we, we were stuck in our room. And the only time we could leave was to go get tested for COVID. And so every day we were down there, we had to get tested. Um, the greatest moment, I think, of my entire life, other than my children being born and my wife and I getting married, was the day I got to rip the green hospital band off my arm and exchange <laughs> it for an NBA credential. And that was day seven of isolation. When I cleared quarantine, they called it, and was able to leave my room. We took me and a couple of the guys that went down from the Pacers. There were three of us from the Pacers that were there at the start, and we took a three-hour walk around the campus. Mm-hmm. Um, when I say three-hour tour in my little LinkedIn post, I was a three-hour tour. Let's just put it that way because we took our time. We breathed in the fresh air. We did everything we could to extend our time outside. And that- as far <laughs> as other protocols go, I mean, you know, you had the COVID test daily. You had until from like 6 a.m. until midnight to get your test in. Uh, My test, I pretty much went about the same time every day, 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, The other protocols were we had to have our temperature taken every day. We had to check for symptoms every day, and we had to have our pulse ox done every day. So there was an app that the NBA created that we had to report any symptoms. We had to report our temperature via Bluetooth. So once it was in, it was locked, so you couldn't take it a second time. Um, and then the Pulse Ox, that was also Bluetooth, and that was enabled inside the app. And then if we cleared it, we'd get a green, a green flag. If our COVID test came back negative, we'd get a green flag, and we'd be able to proceed with our day.
0: That was, was going to lead to my next question, but now I don't even think I have to ask it because I was going to ask how strict were the protocols. It seems like they're pretty darn strict.
1: They were fully strict. And you know what? Um, you may have heard the story from the beginning of the of the bubble when the Kings guys got the Kings guy and I think it was a Rockets guy got hit with you know, they had to go in and quarantine for a couple of days because they went to the line with a postmates delivery and shouldn't have. And that's how strict they were. I mean, there was a border, we couldn't cross it, there was there were spots where we couldn't go. Um, Our access got restricted a little bit as we were going into the bubble, but the further we got in, it kind of got restricted a little bit more. But I think that might have been, you know, bad decision making by some young people or something. I don't know. Um, It wasn't anything that that they violated protocol. You know, it was just something that they probably shouldn't have done. So we got our access restricted, but it was okay. I mean, it wasn't hurting anything, Um, but (laughs) It was pretty strict, I'm just gonna put it that way. Everything was socially distanced, you had to wear a mask everywhere you went. So literally, you put your magic band on, you got your shower, you got your questionnaire done, you get green lighted, you throw your magic band on your arm, if you don't know what the magic band is, the magic band is that basically your life while you're at Disney, um, even when you're you're a guest, right? It's your room key, It's your it's your checkbook, it's everything. Um, you threw your magic band on, you threw your credential on, which you made sure you attached your proximity sensor to. Yeah. There, that's another whole story. Um, the proximity sensor gets attached to the credential and then you had to put your mask on before you opened your door. And if you forgot it, as we encountered with a, a gentleman got on the bus one day to go to the arena and a young lady looked at him and said, sir, do you have your mask? And he went, Oh, I forgot. it. And she said, you got to go. And That was what it was i mean people were calling other people out people were were holding people accountable and it was actually i
0: still say it's the safe it was the safest place on the earth it really was i mean you you put it like that yeah i i don't know as far as being able to still do business and still kind of do what would be considered normal sounds like it i mean i don't know how much more strict they could be at that point the only thing that could happen was you literally were escorted from your room
1: but they weren't going to do that because there weren't enough security for that. They may have done it if they had enough, but um, no, it was, it was very relaxed, but okay, it was kind of an honor system of just do what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, follow the rules, wear your mask, try to stay six feet apart. That proximity sensor would go off for, you know, 10 seconds straight, just beeping and flashing red when you got too close to somebody who had one on and, but that was also a brilliant move to have because they can download the database from that and actually contract contact trace you. You know, that's the best part about that was that they could contact trace you from it. You know, you, they could see who you had had contact with. And so it was all, it was just brilliant. The way they did it was just from a sport management perspective, I can from the, the arenas to the way the hospitality was set up to the way that the, the, the practice court, courts were set up to the way the bus and transportation was done, it was all out of this world. I mean, it really was legitimately, uh, it just was the best place to be during that whole that whole part of the, the the COVID pandemic.
0: From a professor point of view, I just think it's fascinating to look at all that innovation that was put into place so quickly, because even here in, in higher ed, and we're both into it, you're, we're still kind of building the plane as we fly it, kind of figuring out procedures and protocols and social distancing and mask and and everything else I mean they did this on the fly and I mean it seems like it's been pretty um, pretty successful I mean we're going to play out the finals here in the next couple nights I would say it's been
1: fully successful and honestly the NHL and the NBA have done it the way the only way they could um the nfl i just don't think you could do it this way with the nfl and i don't think you could do it this way with major league baseball i think getting to the playoffs for major league baseball they can do it and i think they're going to do it and they're going to do it right but the season it's just too tough you know you've got too many teams scattered all over the country whereas the nba was trying to finish they handpicked 22 of 30 teams and said you guys are contenders play out the season go into the playoffs we'll make a playoff run you know, and that's what they did. And I and I thought it was I, I just it was brilliantly done from every angle. You know, the, the from the arenas, the three of them being available at the at the Wide World of Sports Resort, those three being available allowed for six to six to nine games a day, you know, so you could play all day at one arena. And it really it just really was I can't really describe it as being
0: anything but pretty much perfect, the perfect way to do it. Did the players have to go through the same um, protocols that you guys did as staff? As yes. Well? Okay. Yep.
1: And and theirs was even, I think, a little bit more stringent when it came to the testing and the, the because they're the guys that you'd be afraid would violate it, right? Because, you know, lifestyles are a little bit different than our lifestyle, right? You know, the guy making 45 grand versus the guy that's making 21 million, they're a little bit different. so. I would think that there's maybe they felt more stringent, but I think they had a little bit more relaxed, but they still were held accountable.
0: How do you think they reacted to it? I mean, was it, did they hate the experience? Was it something they did out of obligation or did they finally come around? Like, you know, if we want to end this season, we want to play, we're just going to, this is going to be something we just have to do.
1: From my understanding, Brandon, uh, I talked to one of our one of the Pacers PR people. We had dinner together one night, and she had described it as being, you know, the Dallas Mavericks are there having fun. You know, they, they, they were being a team. They were having a good time. Some of the guys, you know, early on that first week when you saw J.R. Smith post about the food, right. you know, and, and the accommodations not being five-star. And <laughs> you, you know what, man, you're getting everything paid for. You're getting paid. You're being paid to play basketball, that kind of thing. And I didn't – I don't want to criticize anyone, but, you know, in reality, the stuff that we were given, we were given the world. And they were given the world. And I think, you know, Paul George really – obviously my respect for Paul George is somewhat low based upon a personal experience, you know, being the fact that he said he was going to stay in India and then wanted to bolt. But, um, you know, he kind of said it right. And when I say that, what I mean is I can see how a player could get into a dark place. You know, it's it's hard to, to be without your family. It's hard to be without, you know, it, it gets lonely. It really did. And some of us responded certain ways. Some of us didn't. And I think some of the players really took advantage of the opportunity. The Phoenix Suns sure as heck did, you know, going 8-0. Yeah. But they didn't quite squeeze in there. Portland did well, you know. But I didn't see an overwhelming hatred for being there. More than anything, I think. I didn't have much contact with players, but I didn't also didn't really see anybody saying I don't want to be here. You know, a couple of people did, but I think a couple of people maybe they fell into a bad place like Paul George did. You know, Um, but overall, it was it just was. I think that it was the best they were going to get to try to finish
0: the season. So, in in your professional opinion, and this may be a little unfair, and and that's okay. You can push back on me, but. Do you think we're going to see fans in the stands in 2021?
1: Well, we're already seeing them. Yeah. You know, the NFL's already doing it. You know, the Colts have raised their, uh, their capacity for game three to 12-5. The Florida governor just said, you know, all stadiums can be at full capacity. It ain't going to happen. But, you know, they, they, they at least have the clearance to do it. You know, it's like uh, Miami's doing 13,000 when they've been cleared for 66. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it, it's going to happen. It's just what's going to happen as a result how much is it, how much of panic are we going to have if, if one of these events turns into a, into what they call a super spreader? You know, um, I've been following this stuff because, you know, I've got health, I've got health things that have happened to me that are, you know, I've got asthma, you know, I mean, obviously I don't want to get this because all I hear about is asthmatics. You're all going <laughs> to die. You know, when in reality, maybe they're not, you know, I don't know. And so it's a matter of, how much can we take as a society in my mind? How much can we take as far as I'm okay being home? I'm okay with it, but I do have to go out here and there. I'm not one that cares to go to a restaurant. I don't care to go to a movie, you know, working events. Boy, I tell you what, I lost out on a lot of money back in March because we had, you know, the, the regional here, we had the division two regional was supposed to be here at UIndy. I was going to be a stat host on that. You know, it's just, some of that stuff, you're just like, man, this is killing me. But then you think about it and you say, well, I'm at least healthy, you know. Um, but I do see it as coming back. I think 2021, probably I'm, I'm not Nostradamus, you know. And, and for me, I just say fall 2021. I think that's when things will start to kind of come back. Do I have a reasoning for that? No, I don't. Um, I just, my gut tells me that everything will come back to quote unquote normal, come fall of 2021. Um, I just don't see it happening. I see the NFL being as successful as possible. They've got a lot of protocols there. You know, I've experienced their protocols. It's the same thing. You know, you have to report in your your any symptoms. Your temperature has to be checked before you can enter the venue. You know, I mean, I've gone through it twice with two Colts games at home, and you're masked up the entire time. Um, You're sitting socially distanced and, you know, I mean, that's what I don't know if it's feasible is social distancing. The masking is feasible. I'm in close proximity with a lot of people when I'm doing games. And I was scared to death back in February. You know, I was was scared to death about, could I contract this from being in an arena with 18,000 fans in it? But it never happened. And now it's like, well, I mean, I'm healthy. I've tested negative 62 times for sorry, 63 times for, for COVID. But now I'm on a full restart. You know, I'm on a full reset. I haven't been tested since September 11th or sorry, September 12th, you know, so I could get it. I don't know. You know, the the polarization of the, of the topic has been what has driven me crazy. You know, I don't call it fear mongering. I call it just instilling fear. And it's like, wow, you know, how afraid are we? I don't know.
0: Well, I kind of agree with you. I I think my gut tells me once we're through, maybe through the spring, if a vaccination is available, give it a few more months, fall 2021, it's almost a restart for some of the sports calendar, maybe not baseball, but certainly hockey, football, and basketball. Mm -hmm. And I think we're back to, to normal, as I say in kind of air quotes that people won't see on the podcast. But I think that's probably the soonest we get back to normal. So I tend to agree with you. That's all I can think of. Uh, Well, Dr. Sherman, we appreciate your time here on the podcast today. All right, Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Our next three upcoming shows will feature student takeovers as my capstone class will interview professionals from the world of sports sales. Please be sure to tune in for these special episodes. As always, we'd like to say a special thank you to producer Josh Hornbacher for his work behind the scenes. This is the Center for Sports Studies podcast, broadcasting from the Trine Broadcasting Network. For more information about the Center for Sports Studies, please visit trine.edu. Also, be sure to like the Trine Center for Sports Studies on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TrineCSS. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.